Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. With Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is off working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. I'm really leaning into the suggesting you go to the SoundHealthPortal.com, scroll down that page, down to the bottom, and click on the Demos button. Pick a subject that you're interested in, and then you'll watch Sherry do a live workup with somebody online. We actually get to see the process of them doing their vocal intake, which is a recording of their voice. That then gets broken down by the software and run through the program to look at what you want to look at, such as, let's say, neuroplasticity, which is how the brain fires and functions and everything going on with it. And in the past year, Sherry came up with an amazing graph, and that's why I think watching a demo really helps, an amazing graph where it shows the the thing you want to look at now that, that could have the most, I'll call it beneficial, or the most possibly change-oriented in a great way, effect that might cause something, perhaps something in your methylation cascade. Maybe you're not assimilating cysteine. And it'll show, oh, that's inflamed, or what I would term inflamed. It can be either high or low. And sometimes both have to do with assimilation. You can have it too much in your system because it's not assimilating, or it's too low because it's not assimilating. And so as you go through the process of watching Sharia do workup, it's amazing to see it. And then go back, after you watch the demo, go back to that same page, soundhealthportal.com. Scroll down at the campaigns, and those are free services that you can try now, such as PTSD or neuroplasticity. And it's just a great way to get an idea about the Sound Health Portal. Watch it in action, because I can talk about it for way too long. And it still is like, what does that mean? It's a wonderful thing. It's online now. Really, I would suggest going there and reviewing it. To hear and share replays of this show, about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, to meguy.com, all words. Scroll down that page, and you'll see this show there in about, as they say, 20 to 30 minutes. With all the show notes, all the links might come up while we're talking, all the links back to best work. And at the bottom of every show page, at the bottom of the show notes, is a little microphone. If you click on that microphone, you can leave me a message. You can say, I'd like more information about this, or how do I get a hold of that person, or what was that thing you said about orotate? Or just say hi. And you can do that all at talktomeguy.com. With that, Beth Bell's soul's journey has taken her around the world to live, starting with humble beginnings in North Dakota, to California, New York City, Singapore, India, Bali, and now back in California. Spent 15 plus years in strategic brand management in the pharmaceutical industry before becoming an entrepreneur and developing inspirational products, including a silver jewelry line for both e-commerce and a retail shop in Bali. She currently produces and co-hosts the Psychedelic Sages podcast and is an advisor to CEOs and psychedelic pharmaceutical companies. Her new book, Angels, Herpes, and Psychedelics, shares her journey of awakening and provides a spiritual toolbox others can learn from. As a relationship transformation expert and a spokesperson for psychedelics, Beth brings sage wisdom from decades of deep diving into all things spiritual. Her experiences have culminated into a passion for encouraging and empowering others to dive into their awakening journey. Why? because she believes love is the new currency and asks the question, how rich are you? Beth Bell joins us to talk about her new book, Angels, Herpes, and Psychedelics. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We're going to have fun. Everybody, please have a beverage. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to start by asking about this I, I can't remember if I read because by the time now it's all a blur of whether I read it or heard it or saw it. How did the flower meditations come into your life? As we talked a bit backstage, I've had a camera in my hand forever 
And I too wander in the forest and photograph flowers and all sorts of things. But flower meditation, how did that come into your life? Well, I love that question because I was in the middle of my super stressful corporate life going through my soul quickening and I knew that meditation was important, but I could not do it. <laughs> I would spend 15 minutes uh, sitting there and wondering, wow, there's so many things I could have gotten done and just never got to that place where my mind was quieted. So I went to Hawaii, had bought a new camera and started photographing flowers close up and just was mesmerized almost instantly. Found that I had spent, I don't know, maybe an hour or two in that first session just photographing, photographing, just watching the light change and experiencing the magic of Mother Nature. I started carrying that camera everywhere I went, um, work, uh, pleasure, and I just was mesmerized. And I realized that it was the universe's sneaky little way of getting me to meditate through what I now call observational flower photography. It just was a way that I could connect in. And I actually see it as really my divine portal. I have no other question. We're done here. I agree with you. <laughs> I, think it is, I think it is Mother Nature's sneakiest way of getting us to meditate. And I mean that in a kind way. I know I sound sarcastic about it. And it's only because it is... I was not unlike yourself. I've tried on and off for years to meditate. I'm not great at it. I can do it. I've been with hundreds of peoples where we do it. And I like the vibe, but I'm so much better going into nature, spending time in nature and photographing things. I go right into a wonderful zone. And I think this fits right in with your realm of psychedelics because I think it is mind-altering in the best of ways. It's, it's beautiful. Nature has great form. Nature has a great eye compositionally. I mean, it really is. Flowers are, flowers are amazing work, amazing art, pieces of art. And it's a wonderful way to be gatewayed into that. So I, I just had to know. I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah, and I think it, just to add to that, you know, it's really connecting to source energy. And nature gives us that example and as much as I love to go into nature, and, and I know you just talked about that, it's so powerful, we oftentimes don't get that opportunity because we live in concrete or we live in apartments or homes that don't have much nature in between us. But it only takes one flower by the side of the road that you can stop and observe. So I, I like to challenge people when they say to me, oh, I don't have time to go out in nature. I don't, you know, nature's not close to me. Nature's everywhere. The sun is shining. The energy is there. And it's just such a, a beautiful and soft way to quiet our minds in this chaotic and crazy world. In Japan, they have forests. Um, Diana Bareford Kroger, uh, an MD who became a, you got her PhD in botany because she didn't like yeah. the medical industry. <laughs> really, that's like school for half your life. And she wrote a book called Call of, uh, Call of the Forest. And she talks about her research in the forest in Japan where they actually have forest bathing, yeah. meaning that you have walkways and pathways and you go into the forest and they've actually studied people's cognitive abilities and brains and the effects of those what are those esters that come up, come off of the trees and they're actually getting benefit from e inhaling. And these aren't magic trees. These are just trees nope. and you get benefit from this. It improves your cognitive ability, let alone, I think the part that they, she didn't talk about because she's more medicinally oriented is that very benefit of, wow, nature is really nice and calming always. Yeah. And I think I don't want to jump ahead on you, but when I moved to Bali, I understood the power of Mother Nature in such a greater, more magnificent way. And I think anyone who's been to even Hawaii, you know, steps off the plane and just feels the purity um, and the connection to source so quickly. So, yeah, it's available to us wherever we go. We just we just need to have the awareness and the intention to connect in. There's a wonderful project in the East Bay. I'm north of San Francisco. And in the East Bay, where there's schools where they take vacant lots in their neighborhoods and they put in small gardens. Mm -hmm. And they've observed, I know somebody who's worked on this project for a long time. And 
they see benefit to the kids. Not only are mm-hmm. they in community and the hands in the earth, I think you can rarely go wrong by having your hands in the earth, but they actually get the benefit of being, as you say, you're outside, you're watching things grow, which is always amazing. And they are calmer and more at ease when they go back to their classrooms. And they're in the same, the classroom has not changed. They have changed. Yeah. And that, well, we'll get to intention, love later. <laughs> but that, that seems okay. to, I think, I think once again, Mother Earth, really, if we would listen more to her, I think we'd all be better off. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, in researching for your book, I heard or read you say the book is an awakening memoir. Would you talk about that? I thought that was a very interesting thing. Yeah, it's not it's not a how-to book, and it's also not a typical memoir. I walk people through my awakening and the catalyst for my awakening and my skepticism on my awakening journey. And I think it provides a healthy dose of heartbreak, worldly success, and many things that all of us encounter. Um, but I just frame things a little bit different. I learned to, to frame things a little bit differently and to really transform every relationship that comes into my life into the lesson that I called it in for. So it's, it's a little bit different in the sense of I, I, I give everyone this is what's happened, happened or happening, and here's what I'm doing and learning from it. And, you know, when we get into the really deeper heartbreak stuff, I think most people have experienced heartbreak, closed their heart, um, and wondered why the heck did this happen to me. Um, And so I get into a lot of details of how I got myself into situations and got myself out of situations and all along how spirit really guided me and just helped to expand my consciousness and understand the quantum field and understand energy in such a different way because we get so narrowed in with the societal constructs and ideas that society places on us, our upbringing, the ideas that we learned when we were little, all of these things that we don't even know are playing in the background, but it's our mind and our mind starts to build limited roads in our, in our brain, literally in our wiring. And so I really like to encourage people to, hey, let that stuff go and open to all the possibilities that are available to you because you are the creator of your life and no one's a victim. Yes, there's times when things happen and it does feel like we're victims and I want to honor you know, some really difficult situations that happen to people, but we do need to step through these situations and find out what did I call that in for in my life? And how can, I, how can I transform it to be my strength instead of my weakness? And you had family members who were concerned. They were questioning whether you wanted, should publish this story or not. Or they, I, I, I won't call them judgments, but they had something about, really? You sure you want to do this? I'm making that that phrase up, but it just feels yeah. like that when I hear you talk about that. Would you talk about that? Because that's an interesting, like, you know, you're writing an, ama- you're writing a, an amazing book, and they're like, no, no, no. Do you want to do that? <laughs> is that yeah. true? And how, how what was true. that? Well, mm. a couple of things. Um, I grew up in the Midwest of America. Work hard, mm. be humble. Don't really talk about your feelings, but, you know, be a good person and connect to people. But, you know, don't really share your deepest, darkest moments in life because, you know, you're probably just going to get hurt and, you know, get through it. It's like the dirty 30s and all the programming that came in through my ancestral lineage, you know, coming over from, you know, Scandinavia, like Norway, Sweden, Germany is my, my genetic background. And so there's this, you know, just get through it, just suck it up kind of kind of idea so so when I was going to disclose things that was obvious that people could start throwing stones at me and saying well that was stupid you know or oh gosh I would never do that you're you know that's crazy I think it was coming from a place of not wanting me to be hurt 
and not wanting the trolls and the people out there who just want to, you know, really create difficult situations for because of their own unhappiness. And so I really had to sit with all of that. And yet I just felt so divinely guided that I was supposed to write this book. Um, it was not a book that I wanted personally to write. I always wanted to write the, you know, the seven habits, the three tips, the, you know, those wisdom books, those books that everybody says, oh, you're an expert. Oh, you know so much, you know, all the stuff that the ego would love uh, to write. And so when Spirit said to me, you need to write a book about your life and really share everything, I was like, yeah, no, I don't. Spirit's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, so it was kind of this back and forth. And then then the directive got really clear. And then I was like, okay, this is really coming from my higher self. And the directive was simply get your pencil, which I rarely use, and your white notebook. And I sat and wrote out the, at the time it was 12 chapters, it's now 22, but the outline, and I was like, I guess I'm really doing this. So, yeah, I think there's a couple of things, you know, one is, yeah, I didn't, this wasn't my dream to write this book, um, but I could see how it was part of my soul's vision and plan. And that's hard because other people don't necessarily see that same vision um, and all they can see is the risk and you know vulnerability is the thing that connects us all and yet it's sometimes the hardest thing to actually do is to be vulnerable but I knew and I still know that the way that we heal and awaken is through vulnerability and getting deep into our life's lessons and finding out what are the pearls of wisdom in there what is it that I came here to learn? Because I think we all know that if we don't learn the lesson, we do just repeat them. And so, you know, I even share the ones that I repeated that I go, oh, God, if it were me reading that book, I would say, I wouldn't do that. I'm smarter than that. Or, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. You know, but affairs of the heart are, are tough ones. And so I really felt like I needed to share how I was able to navigate through them and what I was, you know, what I was called to learn from them. So it is, yeah, there's a lot of people that said, no, 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 don't talk about that. Don't, don't talk about that. Um, and so that actually encouraged me even more to talk about that. And in a certain way, is it, do you find writing a book or writing this book a catharsis? I'd like a different word, but that's the one that comes to mind. A, a, a cleansing of observation of like, possibly a string of bad words, but the like, wow, I really did that. I did all that. That is, I am where I am now because I did all this or that. Yes, in some ways, but I have to say that it feels like when I wrote the book, it was really just me recapturing. It, it came, it flowed very, very easily for me. And I think it's because I did the work. So I think sometimes people write a memoir or a book like this and they're doing the work as they write it and it takes them years to write oh, it. Uh -huh. um, and this didn't take me years to write it um, because I felt like I was really recapping, recapping my life. And so, yes, there was definitely moments where I had like an aha and I was like, oh, wow, okay, that makes all, that makes more sense. Um and yes, to your point, it does all culminate to what I'm doing now. And so it is sort of an interesting, yeah, an interesting look back at my life. But yeah, it just, it feels like it was, it was more about me sharing. In fact, it got a little bit difficult only in the sense that in the earlier chapters, I had to go back to where I was at that time and write, because mm -hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to have people on the journey of, you know, where I started because everybody starts somewhere and I didn't want to leave anybody out. And so if I started talking to two high conscious or expanded states early in the chapters, which I didn't know at that time, you know, people wouldn't resonate with it. So it is a journey. Um, there is no destination. And, you know, I'm, I'm not Buddha. So I have a lot of, I'm not Jesus or Krishna, um, you know, but we're all working towards that in our star, North Star of of consciousness of embodiment of of being that pure love which is why i say love is the new currency because when we get in touch with that inner wisdom our higher self our connection to source whatever someone's idea of source might be but we're, when we're really 
in that quantum field and we have access to to our inner wisdom, we really do realize that everything is just a story and that everything is about the moment now. And that is so powerful because that's where we create our life is from the moment now. And yet, you know, every experience that goes by, if we don't allow ourselves to experience it in our body and process how we feel about something, good, bad, or terrible, um, it goes into our cells. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sticking there and it creates these networks of ideas and thoughts and beliefs that oftentimes aren't serving us. Sometimes they do, but there's a lot of junk in there that just isn't necessary. Um, and so it's, it's getting back to that, that place of love and connection. And I mean, I think COVID was brilliant by, yeah, by the, the higher energies that, that said, we got to knock this whole place on the head. And mm-hmm. I'm sure many of your listeners know that feeling too, where we, we don't listen we oftentimes get hit with something, whether it's illness, an accident, divorce, or something that feels unexpected, but it's not. Well, I think also one of the things with COVID is people found themselves in isolation. And that flipped out a bunch of people I know. I deal with a lot of tech people and Mm -hmm. like what I do. I'm a guy standing alone in a room talking into a microphone. (laughs) There aren't people around me. And I don't mean that in an isolationist way. It's just what I do. And so for me, being alone is not a thing. But I know other people who are really went through really tricky zones of lone, aloneness. And I think part mm-hmm. of the trickiness of that was being alone with their own thoughts. This is my observation. This is my thinking. Because I would talk them down in a certain sense of like, no, you're fine. It's okay. You'll be, you, you know, this will be okay. And it wasn't about the illness. It was about the, I'm alone. Yeah. And I think alone is tricky until you get at ease with that and realize you're not really ever alone. Yeah. In the quantum and, field. Yes. And, and that's the whole subtitle of, uh, you know, unraveling the mind to unveil illusions. And mm-hmm. so the universe gave everyone an opportunity to look at the four walls that they've built who's in them and who are they? And a lot of people didn't like what they saw. And that created a lot of, a lot of discord and chaos because no one could go out and do retail shopping therapy. No one could avoid their marriage and go have drinks with their buddies after work or, you know, those things, those external things that we didn't even realize that we were looking to relying upon to bring us pleasure were no longer available. And so, yeah, people had to go, Hmm, what's in my own mind here? What am I thinking? And what are these narratives that I'm running? And I think there was a lot of people that took a a deeper dive into it. And then there's a lot of people that didn't. And so we're starting to see some of the aftermath of that. And it also feels really divinely guided for the book to come out because you can start your awakening journey at any point in time. And if you're on it, keep going. And we're all in this together. Um, But if you want to choose to ignore it and numb yourself, it's not going to get any better. And you're just going to repeat the lesson. So yeah, COVID was hard for a lot of people. It wasn't hard for me as well. And I still, again, I honor the people that had a lot of challenging situations happen and, and death that came as a result. But it was beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful times because there wasn't any pressure almost from the external world. Like whoever got a break in life where where you could just literally be with yourself, um, be with your thoughts, be with your family, you know, be in your inner circle, hug each other more, right? Spend more time together. Um, I think people now coming out of it and and at that time, it, it technically raises our oxytocin level when we hug each other more, when we spend more time with each other, when we make more eye contact with each other. And and now we're, you know, being, in, I was going to say forced, but we're really not being forced to do anything. But we're we're being asked to, to go back into those lives. And a lot of people are having a hard time now. Like, how do I, because they got really comfortable in their homes, right? But again, I think any situation is still talking about the external world. And 
the challenge right now and the calling right now and the inspiration empowerment right now is to go inward. It's not about looking to the external things in our life to bring pleasure. It's about going into the internal bliss that lies within each one of us. It's, it's, it's right there. And it's always with us. Yeah. There's that. It's always because we are that. That's the, that's what we are. And the more we realize that we are love, and that's why it's the new currency because people want love. That is it. Above all, people want to love and be loved. And when giving and receiving is the same, bliss. That's mm-hmm. that's unconditional love. That's that's transcending all of the crazy storylines and ideas and the distractions, like there's so many distractions right now, which is also really interesting. You know, like which distraction are you going to follow next? Is it politics? Is it vaccinations? Is it the next, this is it the next, that they're all distractions. You know, people get really passionate about, about some of these things. And I understand that, but, but what if we all got really passionate about connecting to source and, and creating our life in the way that we want it, as opposed to the way that our ego mind is allowing, you know, us to drive. And, you know, why wouldn't we all want to get the soul on the driver's seat? Some people aren't even asking the question. Some people aren't even contemplating the idea of it. And so I hope my goal, my, my vision is that people can read my book and there's many other people's books that are great books that, help you tap into this and go, yeah, I'm going to choose the other way before I get clobbered over the head with something I really don't want. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I see a, a t-shirt of yours with uh, putting the soul back in the driver's seat as a class. Yeah. I'll sign up for that class. That would be okay. fun. Yeah. Um, I want to jump to, and this, this does fit in the big picture, taking responsibility. You, you talk about this in the book. But you really, you know, it's a matter of taking responsibility. And, and I relate this to the, the theme of the show is environment and health, but it's also about self-care, which mm-hmm. oftentimes I will hashtag as self-caring. And I think self-caring and taking responsibility go hand in hand, but I think people read them differently. Would you talk about taking responsibility? Yeah, growing up, again, in the Midwest and North Dakota, it was a good thing and a bad thing in some ways that, you know, if I made a decision, I knew that it was my responsibility and that if it was a it was a good thing, it was my fault. And if it was a bad thing, it was my fault. So I, I understood the idea of responsibility early in my life and taking personal accountability for it. Sometimes I took it a little too far, um, but it is really important to understand that you are the creator Sometimes it's so hard to see that because stuff happens to us. And we're like, yeah, no, I would not create that. And you're, you're like, I do not believe that. But it is still true that I believe that we come in with soul contracts. It's not even a belief. It's like I know we come into this this earth plane with soul contracts with individuals that every single one of them are part of this really divinely orchestrated plan, if you will, to help you awaken and to help you get back to who you really are as opposed to the ideas of who you think you are or supposed to be for others. And it's a journey. It is a deep, deep journey. And so it just starts with every day saying, okay, this person is doing this to me. How do I feel about that? And what am I asking them to reflect to me about myself? Right? So it's always about looking at the characters as characters that are playing a really important role. And always going back to yourself as opposed to blaming the other person or this shouldn't be happening and, and, and really sitting with, with what is the lesson. And that can be a challenge and it takes, it takes determination. It takes bravery because sometimes we see things about ourselves that we don't like. And sometimes it means we have to do that C word, which is change. And Yeah, people don't want to change. And what I find fascinating is that there's some people that just want to stay in their misery because they're so identified with that misery and their stories. And one of the things I've had to also learn is that our jobs really 
are to shine the light and show the way. We cannot pull someone else out of the mud. I am not here to heal anybody else. There's no gurus. We're just here to shine the light and show the way. And everyone has to take that personal responsibility and accountability for every action and intention that they set or make. And, and that, that gets to be kind of tough. I want to jump in and, and use the Groucho Marx word, intention. Uh, not really a Groucho Marx, but that's a way old show. It's old it was in black and white on TV. That intention, I think one of the tricky parts about intention, and I learned this from some healers long ago, is I trained with a number of healers. I did body work for a long time, and I don't mean cars. Mm-hmm. And I trained with a number of people, like Rosin Bruyer and John Byrne, and just a different styles of people. And the healers that were really what I would call extraordinary healers did their work, and their intention was to have the healing be. Or, you know, whatever the languaging was. They all have a different language, perhaps, and perhaps a different kind of ritual. But the ones that I felt and observed as being the most miraculous were the ones that did it without intention, intention to outcome. And as they put, the, they put it out there, they have no ego attachment to it, and they just do it. Badoomp, and that's it. And I think that's, that's a, an arena where when people get I've, – I've, work with and have people I know that get into having intention, but they really have an attachment to the outcome of that intention. Like people yeah. who do remote, remote healing, remote work, whether it's Reiki or radionics or whatever it is. And I think the trick is to put the intention out there and let it happen without your attachment of like, look, I did that. Cause I've known healers that have that, like, look what I did. And I don't right. think that's what it's about. Would you talk about intention? Because I think it's really a powerful thing. And people sort of like, oh, intention, me, 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 me. But I think it's really powerful. It is really powerful. And, yeah, there's a lot of things that come around what you just said for me to, to comment on. But it's getting really clear on how you want to feel and doing things, saying things, existing in the world in a way that is in alignment with how you want to feel and to not, as you said, have um, an expectation of an outcome. Um, And it's hard. It's a hard practice because we get taught, especially in this Western world, if then thinking, if I do this, then this, this, and this happens. You know, my corporate life was great for strategic, you know, brand planning for uh, options, you know, and trying to be in control and in charge and on top of everything as opposed to just being in the magic, if we just float in the magic and we don't have any intentions about how we want to feel, then we can just be floating. And so there is a, a trick to it. And I don't mean a trick in a negative way or like a, I guess in a, I guess in a magical way, there's a trick to setting an intention about how I want to feel and then allowing the universe to bring it back to you as opposed to going out and, and doing it or, You know, you don't always, you take inspired action, but you don't always have to take this action. You know, I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen. I mean, it works like that in many cases, but I eat food and I feel full, right? So, so I'm not saying that it's non-existent. Of course it's existent, but it's how we feel when we eat and it's how we feel when we, when we have a new relationship or, you know, whatever it is that we want to bring into our life. It's, it's the feeling of how do I want to feel with this, with this intention that I'm setting. And I think the higher we can go in our intention setting, sometimes the easier it is to not have the expectation because if we set it so small or so specific the universe might be like, yeah, but I got this whole big thing over here that I know you really want on your soul's plan, but because your little ego mind is asking for this tiny little thing over here, I guess we'll just give you that tiny little thing, or maybe we won't, so that you get a little bit more upset. And I don't mean that literally upset, but, you know, just more like frustration, like why isn't it coming, why isn't it coming? And just to kind of egg us on to go higher, go bigger, Go deeper. 
within to to find out, like, what is it? What is it that I'm here to do? Because I think everybody, I, I really do believe that, I know there's a lot of bad people out there and evil people and this, that, the other, but they're all here to play a very, very important role. But at the end of the day, I think a majority, if not almost everyone deep inside wants to contribute to humanity. Like they want to do something good. They want to be seen. They want to be validated. They want to be heard. But unfortunately, a lot of times the programming that they got when they were little was that in order to be seen, heard, valued, they had to do something bad because it was the only way anyone's going to pay attention to them. So, yeah, I really feel like, I know I went off a little bit on a tangent there, um, but I do think that, that people innately have an intention to get back to source, to awaken. Um, and maybe it's not in this lifetime. You know, maybe it really isn't for a lot of people in this lifetime, but right now there's such a great opportunity. The energy is, is, is as primed and ready for people to just start stepping in and awakening at, at more expanded states of consciousness. They want that. They're, they desire that because there's not enough shoes and cars and homes and money. And yes, all those things are fun and they provide opportunity and go for it, you know, get them. But if that's your identity, they're empty because that's not where the magic is. So you can have it all, but if you're not really clear on your intention about how you want to feel, then you're just letting the external world run you based on the pleasure that you get in the moment as opposed to the power that you can feel and exude in the moment if you really know who you are and that love is the answer to everything because that just raises our vibration to a place where that good old mind and all those storylines, they don't really make sense anymore. They're not, they're not valuable anymore. The storylines aren't necessary anymore. Yeah, that happened. And that made me a better person. Sucked when I went through it, but here I am. Mm-hmm. We just got to get more of that. Yeah. I think that people confused. Well, in, in, I was, as we, as I talked about having a camera in my hand, always, I was always the editor of the school newspaper or even the local town newspaper, photo editor. And I think people sometimes get lost or confused when they get into the any attention is good, whether it's bad or caring. And I think some people get lost that, you know, bad headlines is as good as good headlines. There's that. And I'll just, we'll just set that over there because that could be a whole show. Mm-hmm. But I'll talk about Amachi for a moment. Um, a renowned guru, healer. I don't know what to call Amachi. I never did. But she's a, a woman of renowned knowledge and, you know, much wisdom. And she would have this thing. You would receive Darsham, which is a blessing by her. And it was always funny to see people be in queue to see her. Because seeing her consisted of, and you'd be with hundreds of people waiting for this to happen. And people would wait and wait, and everybody would be very worked up about seeing her, which was great. And then when you'd see her, she would see you, smile at you in a very smirky, sort of charming way. And, as I would say, hit you on the head with a feather. And it was literally that, but not hit you. It would be tapping you, and she'd be giving you Mm -hmm. a blessing. And people would be like, Afterwards, they were, they were, where's my new car? Where's that boyfriend? Well, you know, just, mm-hmm. They had all these expectations that they had, not understanding it was in a totally different level of play in the sense of it wasn't about manifestations. It wasn't about, it may be, but the idea of the, the blessing of that moment of pure love was not about the new shiny. It was about your inner state of being and part of what we'll talk about more is about love. Am I reading that right? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's about the transmission that was given and offered. And mm-hmm. the more and more of us that can step into giving those transmissions of love, because we love ourselves so much that we can just literally look at someone and and give them that knowingness of who they really are, because that's all it is, is just a reflection of who we really are at the core, who we really are connected to source. And so the more of us that wake up and can just look at each other 
you know, and make that eye contact and raise oxytocin levels as opposed to cortisol levels through judgment and separation. Like, why wouldn't we want to do that? <laughs> I think that's the name of a new podcast. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Yeah, I, I like totally it. do that podcast. I could totally do that. <laughs> that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to jump here because I want us to talk, have enough time to really talk about this. How did Louis Schwartzberg in your interview with him on your own podcast and remind and please say your, the name of your show so people can find that and I'll put it in the show notes, but how did he alter your direction? I know this is many years later and it's, part of the book, but it's really where you are now. It, I mean, it really like blew your shorts up. I don't know. I don't have a phrase there. But I mean, I, I think it was really an aha moment for you when you had that conversation with him on your show, like, why, well, this is amazing. I should be doing something with this, particularly with your background with marketing and everything. So talk about Louis Schwartzberg and plant medicine. Well, Please. actually, it was a, yeah, it was a little bit different than that and that it wasn't okay. a blow my socks off moment, like, aha, aha. What what it what it was was that I was as you know and what we talked about earlier a flower whisperer and so I actually in my shop in Bali had one of Louis's videos that I had purchased playing on a screen in the background mm. of the time lapsed flower openings and all that and I had a beautiful um, woman that I met through my shop um, who knew Louis and said you need to interview him on your show pollinating the planet with love and I said I absolutely do. So fast forward, you know, it was actually quite a while later, I rocked up to to Louie's place and had him in my Ram cargo van that I was doing for that show. And I wanted to talk all things flowers and he wanted to talk all things mushrooms because he had just launched the documentary Fantastic Fungi. And I was happy to talk about that. He, man, I learned all about the mycelium network. That was the first time I'd heard of it. And it just filled in all the blanks for me of like being connected to to the earth, to energy, to source. And so I thought, oh, that's really powerful. And so I, I started talking about San Pedro to him and and ayahuasca and, hey, what's your thoughts on this? And and so he shared his thoughts and he said, the right set and setting, you should do this. And I was still really skeptical skeptical at that time because I, I felt like I had done all this work. And I'm like, I just don't want to undo everything I've done. You know, I don't want to go do some crazy, you know, mind unraveling thing that, you know, and then I got to pick my pieces back up and blah, blah, blah. So, so I still left there with a heavy dose of skepticism, but in the back of my mind, it, it did remain that he said, yeah, with the right set and setting. And it just so happened that as I was editing that, that episode, um, I got a call for a San Pedro ceremony. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where the aha moment came in was more then where I was like, okay, spirit speaking to me, this is time. Cause I knew the set and setting. I knew the, I knew the server. I knew, I knew the whole thing and I knew that it was safe. And so that was my first soiree into, into the, uh, the psychedelic sector. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've gone to a conference for years called Bioneers, which happens in Northern California. And so I've spent a lot of time with Paul Stamets who's one of the sort of, I would put him in the mm-hmm. father of the mycology world. Yep. And so talking about not just psychedelics, but also medicinals. And I think one of the things that I like about, I too have spent time and had resistance to very similar. That's why I liked your story or related to your story so much, because I was sort of like, no, I don't think so. No, no, I'm already like just holding on. I don't need to blow it up and try and reorganize it all. And then, my mind changed. And one of the things I like about the fungi, all the fungal psychedelics, is this is true of plant medicine as well, is the, because of that mycorrhizome that they have with the planet, with the earth. I mean, they have these amazing root networks. Paul Stamet talks about this as yep. one particular strain that he studied that has, you know, fingers from the Pacific Northwest into Alaska. I mean, it's just amazing with this, this spread that the root systems of fungi can have. Because we just think of them like, oh, there's a mushroom, pick that. Yeah, yeah, yes, and, yes, and. And I think they really connect us back to the earth. And in the right set and settings, I think they're extraordinary. I don't think I yes. have a question there. I just think they're really extraordinary. Yeah, I, I'll just 
I'll just second that. I mean, it is it is like the internet superhighway. If we as an easier way to think about it, you know, we we know that the internet connects us, and the mycelium network connects us, but connects us to source energy, the quantum field, because an acorn, you know, doesn't think about how to become an oak tree. And it's that magic that we want to be in. We still want to have our minds because that's what we have as humans, but we want to get our minds in the back seat so that the soul can drive. And that's what an acorn does. It doesn't, you know, doesn't let the ego mind because it doesn't have one, has consciousness, but it doesn't have a, you know, that, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have all those stumbling blocks. It just, it just is, it just, it just allows, connects, it surrenders. And that's where the flowers led me into all of this. So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. And now you do the show, uh, Psychedelic Sage. Is that your regular show? Yeah, there's actually actually two things that have come forward. One I was going to talk about earlier because you mentioned this. You you were talking about, yeah, a show because a lot of people have said, oh, I want to talk to you after they've read the book, Um, which I love. I I love to talk all day and, and talk about anybody's situations and so some people said, you know, I was so inspired by the book, but I'm afraid I'm going to just go back to my normal life. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want you to do that. And um, so just, you know, I didn't say that to them, but I'm just thinking this. And so um, what's come is, is something called the Bliss Book Club. And people can go and, and sign up for a membership. And in the membership, they get eight, nine, eight to nine weeks. It's, it's nine weeks total. Um, uh, once a week they get an email that gives a discussion between me and, and uh, five other women and it just gives more details about the book and it's intended to get people to thinking again about some of the modalities and what some of these other women were thinking about it and then each week um, starting in December I'll be having a live show on YouTube where people can come and be part of the online book club and mm. they can come and ask questions and, and still dig, dig deeper into their own stuff because it's really about them. I'm just leveraging my stories as discussion points. So it's, it's not come talk about Bethel. It's come talk about what did that story mean to you? How did you feel about it? And what does it mean to your own life? And, and what do you want to do differently? Or what do you want to do more of? What do you want to do less of? And so, or maybe like, how, how do I reframe this? I don't know. What, what did you mean by that? Like you know, those kinds of questions. So it's that that kind of discussion that I was like, yes, I really want to have this connection with people and I want them to connect with themselves on a deeper level. So, so there's that happening and that's the Beth Bell live on YouTube and it's Ask Beth Bell. But the other thing that I was really excited and and inspired to do, which you just touched on is the psychedelic sages show. I think because of my corporate background in the pharmaceutical industry, um, along with my intensive spiritual journey that I talk about in the book over the last you know 20 plus years, it just created this perfect storm for me to be a, a psychedelic spokesperson because quite frankly, I am the least likely person. I know your listeners don't know me personally, but like drugs have always been a no-go for me. Like the occasional use of alcohol, but even marijuana was not on my radar. If that stuff showed up, I was gone. So for me to now, you know, be talking, having done psychedelics, talking about psychedelics, put psychedelics on the cover of my book, you know, which was also part of the controversy of, do you want to be judged for this? You know, cause a lot of people mm-hmm. have judgments around psychedelics. I did. I mean, the brain, you know, this is your brain on drugs ad, you know, the war on drugs. Oof, that mm-hmm. was powerful. You know, like who wants their, their brain fried in a pan. So, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's a whole nother show, which, yeah, yeah um, of what's happening with that whole thing. So, so I just feel divinely guided that I'm here to help shift the narrative around psychedelics. I put uh, money into psychedelics. I've invested in psychedelics. But I also wanted to know, like, the guys at the top of that psychedelic, guys, gals, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, I don't know, there's a lot of men, um, not as many women, and we do need that feminine um, aspect, the masculine and feminine. But is it just about money again? Are we just going back to money you know, there's nothing wrong with making money, but the intention and the plants have a voice and a soul and, and the time is now that they're really coming forward for all of us to benefit from the wisdom that they help us get in touch with our own inner wisdom. And I really just want to be that person that helps all of these companies stay in it for what the plants are coming to teach us 
and how the plants are helping us heal. Um, and there's just a lot that happens when we get into business and commerce. And so, yeah, I wanted to help share and shift the narrative around around psychedelics as a whole. I wanted to do some truth busting about um, companies and who's doing what, why. Uh, so, yeah, so we, we review a lot of video clips. We do some, some readings on companies. We look at it from a multidimensional perspective, tuning into the energies of the people that are running the companies. Um, there's a lot of great stuff happening. It's just amazing. I mean, it's amazing. I don't, I've lost track now, but there was the last I looked over 250, you know, somewhat proper startups, but pharmaceutical psychedelic companies, you know, big pharma is looking, you know, hovering, looking to, uh, to jump in on this. And, and a lot of these startups need it because they're, they need the money in the phase three trials, but Hey, let's just, let's keep the soul of the plants. Um, you know, the intention behind what, what they're coming forward to as well. Um, yeah, for the awakening of humanity, not just for, you know, filling our, our pocketbooks. But again, there's nothing wrong with making money. I'm just saying the intention, back to that discussion. You know, let's keep the intention to awaken and heal humanity because that's, that's what we're up for. And this is a very nerdy technical question. And I mean really nerdy, quite technical mm-hmm. I know some people in the cannabis industry and they're working with somebody who says that they can grow in a Petri dish the specific forms of THC that they're looking for or something along very much along those lines. And as an old school herbalist, I'm not a big fan of taking a a part of a plant and turning it into an extract or a purified or an isolate. Because I believe that there are things in plant medicine, and this is true of, I would include fungi in the same family. I believe that there are substances in plant medicines and in fungal medicines that we don't know yet. Therefore, I like whole plant medicine. I don't have a way to turn that into a question. Do you have an, a thought on that, an opinion I do. In, in your research? Oh, good. Okay, great. I do. I bet you do. Um, I would join with you to say that, that the whole plant is, is a beautiful thing. Um, and let's, let's let the magic happen. Um, but the other side of it and coming more from business and commerce and pharma that we unfortunately, fortunately can't patent mother nature. And so there's an element of that, that companies do need to be profitable. They need to pay their employees and they need to make money and just how the world goes round. And so that, that does make patenting something important and having some exclusivity. And with that said, because I don't, I'm not saying that's bad. Um, there's also, I think a way to get people more comfortable with psychedelics is to have that data and science that might be a very particular specific aspect of, of one of the plants can do X, Y, or Z, and that we have the clinical data that proves it and does it. Um, and so I think it's, it's probably necessary in, in the, the world in which we live in this dimension that, um, that they do what they're doing, which is take out certain aspects and patent it and say that it's, it does this and it does and it helps. But yeah, I mean, the, it'll help a lot of people try psychedelics that might not have um, because of because of the negative connotation when actually psychedelics is mind manifesting that's what actually that's the root of the word so it's just again this negative narrative and somewhat irresponsible use of it that I think took place in the 60s and 70s that created this fear around it but the fear honestly I feel is just such a the fear his the the fear of actually stepping into the power of knowing who you really are and what that means to all of the systems that are in place on earth right now um, that we think help us survive, but they actually are a huge distraction. So, yeah, I agree with you that the full plant and our bodies know what to do with it. Just like I don't really think there's any junk DNA. We just don't know what it is. I mean, we know what it is on other levels, but 
you know, the scientists don't necessarily know what it all is. I'm not an expert in that area, not trying to be, but just saying that there's a lot that we don't see and there's a lot of magic happening and why not let the magic happen as opposed to try to control it, manipulate it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you, but, but there's a place for it. I understand why we're, why we're coming into it in the way that we are. Right. I'm not opposed to the idea of, and then I'll get off this. I'm not opposed to the idea of taking a whole plant extract and then adding an isomate to it because you want to bump it in a certain area. But I really think that having the whole plant in there is beneficial because it's nature knows what she's doing. <laughs> I agree. That is, that is on the other side of your T-shirt. Um, nature knows what she's doing. And so adding something to it to bump a characteristic of that plant, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I just don't like the, this world, particularly in the cannabis, in the, the, the THC world of cannabis, there's a lot of isolates, a lot of, you know, here's the thing and you want this and you take mm-hmm. that. And I just am not a fan of that. I, I really like the, I'm, for people that works, great. But I just like it founded in whole plant medicine because there's stuff in there I know that we don't know yet, just as you yeah. said about DNA. There's stuff in there that we don't really know yet. We think we know everything. We don't. Really. Yeah. Come on. Well, um, so that's my... If, if, I have, if I have another minute or two, I can, I'll share another oh, yeah. thought Please. on that. We can go over. Well, I'm happy to. Okay. I had a big judgment against um, synthesized psychedelics and plant-based psychedelics. I'm only doing plant-based psychedelics because that's from nature. Mm-hmm. And then I had a huge shift on that. And I'm like, everything is God. You know, the, the scientists, you know, at Sanofi and, you know, that created LSD and MDMA and these molecules, like those are all downloads. They're all downloads to, to help us. And, so I had to get over that. It took me a while. I really had to get over the judgment around, you know, natural versus synthesized, synthetic. And it's like everything is God. Everything is source. And we're just we're just magically making it into something different at a different vibration, you know, all the way down to a table. And that's where, you know, of course, the miracles came in. And, and honestly, for so many years, I really didn't understand a lot of what I was what I was reading. Um, and then when I thought I did understand it, and then I realized that I really had no clue until I was able to embody it with psychedelic journeys um, and understand energy at its finest and all God. And it's just our mind wanting to judge something. So that kind of takes it into another realm. But, um, but I do, I do join with you in saying like, let's let the magic of the plant do what it knows to do with the magic of your body that knows what to do, that knows how to breathe without you thinking, that knows how to, you know, clear itself without, without us thinking. So yeah, let's, let's try to, you know, not be in control here because there's so much we don't know. And that's the fun, right? That's the fun. That's what we're learning. That's the journey is let's, let's learn more. Let's expand our consciousness and realize that there's so much more that we don't know. This is really an adventure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is like not kidding adventure. It's not for the uh, faint of heart, so to speak. I mean, life is an adventure. And I think that I'm, I think psychedelics and plant medicine are here to help us and reconnect us to the planet, to the earth, get us to go, oh, we don't want to be doing it. Why are we doing that to the ocean? What are you thinking? Um, you know, all of that. I think it's really, it's a grand opportunity. And you, for a moment, talk about the power of love. You you talk about it as the new currency. Say a bit more about that. We can go a few minutes over. Yeah, it's just coming back into who we are and who we are is love. And as I was saying earlier, it's all about giving and receiving love and being in that flow and that exchange. And we can still be in commerce, we can still have jobs, we can still, it doesn't mean we all just go sit somewhere and bliss out. No, it doesn't. It means that we embody it here, we practice it here in everyday life, and that we exude love, that we focus on love, because, you know, anything, hurt people, hurt others. It's that simple. And so when it happens, I'm not saying we give everyone a spiritual pass, and we just like let people walk all over us. I'm not, I'm not saying that either. But I'm just saying, why can't we just look people in the eye 
and realize that's where they're at and there's a reason for it and there's work that you know that that they're doing and maybe work that needs to be done but we don't need to be the we don't need to be the police or the, you know the judgment person on others like why can't we just extend love you know why can't we just lighten the load like what what good does it do for for me or you or anybody to judge somebody else for where they are um and when we take away those storylines and you know even just through this interview like we can just i can feel like it's just lighter everything's lighter you just go oh yeah like all of that was so heavy my life was so heavy or that storyline or what happened to me this morning or what happened to me yesterday felt so heavy but once you kind of just feel into it and you just go oh and that's not now and here i am now and what do i want next and and i want to feel love i want to give love and I want to feel love. And that's a beautiful place to be. And I can do it doing anything I'm doing, whether it's going out and ordering something from someone and looking them in the eye and telling them what I want to order and smiling and just exuding love, even if they're grumpy. You know, at least I'm doing my part. You know, why can't we just do that more? And we've seen it happen. When 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, people knew what it was like to exude love. We just just automatically had a compassion for another human not knowing any of their storylines and we didn't even judge them for it. We just showed up and that was just such an amazing experience if people remember back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID happened a little bit different, you know, because it was that four walls and it created more deep anxiety and a deep stirring, so a little bit different. But there's some similarities, you know, like, why can't we take that love? Why do we just have to go out and just get so busy already, you know, like, so that what everybody thinks that we're important because we're busy, you know, like, because we're getting stuff done. I mean, hey, look, I love to get things done. I do stuff all the time. But, you know, come back to love. Like, because that's where I really get everything is when I can show love and receive love and and the only way to do that is to get beyond the storylines. And so I think, yeah, it's the reason why I wrote the book. Let's get beyond the stories. Mm-hmm. Get into the magic. Yeah. I live in the part of California that was badly burned. I live in Santa Rosa, three miles from the coffee fire, where almost 1,500 homes were burned. Mm-hmm. Wow. And other parts of Sonoma County. I was evacuated multiple times. And it was amazing to see that surface out of that, the caring, the love, the kindness. I'm, I'm a big fan of kindness. I'm not opposed to love, but I'm also a big fan of kindness because it's free and easy to give away. And when you see somebody like Jose Andreas with the World Central Kitchen, just to show up out of nowhere, people can look that up, World Central Kitchen. And he brought his crew here for a month and a half, helping firefighters and helping people because he wanted to. No agenda because he's being a kind, generous, loving human being. And to see that also surface in the fire, during the fires and post-fire, just everybody willing to help everybody. It was, yep. it was amazing. It was horrific. And it was amazing to see that side of the best of side of people come out. So I'm looking more for more of that, the best of people. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's a beautiful world. We just we just need to sit back in our intention, which we talked about, of yeah. how we want to see the world and how we want to create the world. And, and yeah, when we get ourselves into these precarious situations, how are we going to get ourselves out um, and with ease and grace? It doesn't have to always mm-hmm. be drama and chaos. Yeah, yeah. We could go on for several hours casually, but we're going to stop now. <laughs> we will do this again. Thank you so much, Beth. I knew it was going to be an adventure, and it was more than that. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.